everyone. Hello. Before we get started this week, just a quick request for you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Please. If you do review us, you will get your very own Badass Lady Meter rating. But no merchandise. <laughs> Why even bring up merchandise? <laughs> As a lawyer, I feel like you'd want to... Uh, avoid these things. I was very clear. I said no merchandise, Grace. And we have a new review to shout out. Uh, thank you so much, Jim in Indiana. Uh, well, it's Jim in I-N capitalized. I'm, a, I'm assuming it's Indiana. We're from Illinois. We, we're from Midwest right Strong, here. Crossroads of America. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Bread basket, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, your badass lady meter rating is... YA for all ages. Yeah. Thank you, Jim and in Indiana. And anyone else who would like to leave us a review, just find us on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, however you want to refer to it. And then leave us a review. And now the episode. Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I am Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies! We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Yeah. This week, Daja's Book by Tamara Pierce. Book three of the Circle of Magic Quartet. I listened to it on Scribbed, Scribed, Scribbed, Scribbed, and I really love their audiobooks for Tamara Pierce. Check them out if you have a subscription because she's the narrator. And they have really fun musical interludes between chapters. And oh, I, yeah. I just heard one in my head as you were like, Daja's book. <laughs> I do wish that any time I said any book title in life, some like public domain music. Some like appropriate, yeah. <laughs> yeah, royalty-free music just kind of fluted in, <laughs> piped in behind me. It would make me incredibly happy. Yeah. Um, yes, and it's their full cast recordings too. I listened to a little bit of this audio book. And they're um, great. Check all of them out. I listened to all the Wild Magic ones. Highly recommend. Mm-hmm. So before we get into the discussion, we'll do a quick marketing breakdown and discuss how the publisher chose to package and promote our copy of the book and of the quartet. This is another series that I, I managed to hang on to for yeah. now, um, 20 years. <laughs> so, oh my God. uh, proud of myself and they're they're in pretty good shape too um especially for ones that never had a box set they were just the books unlike my alana books well that's a nice thing about even if you kind of destroy a book if you leave it pressed in a shelf for mm-hmm. a decade it uh gets nice <laughs> and crisp reforms. again yeah that's right yeah it just <laughs> regains some of its structure yeah. um so our editions were the scholastic mass market paperbacks um and they have the wonderful, like old school Tamara Pierce front covers. Um, I'm My not sure favorite. what more recent editions of the Circle of Magic books look like. Let me know if anyone has a newer one. But these have hyper realistic uh, oil paintings. It looks like yeah, uh, they're different from the original um, Wild Magic and uh, yes, Quartet. A, a different style from. Um, Tamara Pierce's other series, but these are set in a different world. Yeah, so, so that totally makes, sense. makes sense. We have little silver stars around the blue background, and then in the center, a golden oval showing Daja on a sturdy pony, which is my favorite phrase in the book. 
in any Tamra. Like she always there's always ponies. a sturdy pony, and I <laughs> and really they show appreciate up so that. Quickly in this book, and it just I knew right where I was and what I was dealing with. Yeah, sturdy ponies that is. <laughs> And it shows Daja looking with fear back on the wildfire blazing out of control in Gold Ridge Valley behind her. There are some lovely trees and shrubs in the foreground, a nice nod to the plant magic that's present in this book. And her pony looks freaked out. Yeah. I like the... Daja's also dressed appropriately, according to the description of the types of clothes that she wears. Uh, and that's an issue that we often have with covered depictions. Is that they're wearing the wrong thing? Yeah, it's just like, oh, didn't even, couldn't even be bothered to read the book, but right. whatever. What were you going to say? I like the elemental circles. Yes, all of the Circle of Magic books have four symbols to represent the four youths and their different magical abilities. Yeah, because they're not really, they're not the four elements. No, so I think the marketing tries to make it seem simpler by having what looks like water, fire, lightning, slash air, and plants. Earth. Earth, but plants. (laughs) Earth. Uh, But the thing is, Tamara Pierce doesn't. She doesn't ascribe to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She doesn't follow this really specific elemental pattern, which I think would make the book the books less interesting. Mm-hmm. And also, by the end of the series, all four of their magics are interwoven anyway, so yeah. it doesn't matter. I mean, this isn't um, Captain Planet. <laughs> we don't have to have like really clearly delineated abilities from person to person. They this isn't Captain Planet, kids. <laughs> They have their own personalities, too. And <laughs> while those are guided by some of their magical abilities, you know, what are they going to put on here to show we- m- magical weaving? <laughs> you know, I've like, how do you boil that down into an icon? I'm going to strive this week in a work setting to use the <laughs> phrase, this isn't Captain Planet. And I'll get back to you about how it okay, goes. See how people respond. I do have a hearing this week, so <laughs> in closing, this isn't kept in play. <laughs> we should mention that we do thoroughly spoil the plot of every book we cover. So if you'd like to revisit Daja's book, please go and do so before you continue listening. Madeline, would you like to give us a plot summary for folks who have not read the book in a while or who have not read it before? Indeed, Grace, I would. Thank you for being so proper. Okay, so this quadrangle is about four child mages. Um, They've got a couple of teachers who are striving to... Technically, there's one teacher for each of them. Oh. Yeah, they each have their special... um, That that doesn't come across super clearly in this book. Because it just seemed like there was a bunch of teachers... Let's also preface this with Matt. This is the only Circle of Magic book that Madeline has read because I made her read it for this well, episode. I mean, we'll, I, we'll go in more detail talking. Tammy about Tammy is but. my girl, yeah. for life. So I'm always happy to read some Tamara. But you had never been to Emelon before, only Tortal. Nope, nope. And this is the first time I ever read this book. So bear with me, folks. All right, <laughs> go for it. Okay, thoroughly disclaimered. We've got the kids. We've got their teachers. Um, they go to. Uh, the Gold Ridge Valley. The Gold Ridge Valley. Um, and uh, they're training, they're helping out, they're learning about fires because it is a place where 
it seems like there should be a rotation of forest fires, as in many climates on our own planet, where the fires are good because they clear out the old stuff and then new life grows from the ashes. And it reduces the risk of one huge forest fire possibly. Because you're having the the schmutz cleaned out from the forest floor, the mast that's what she kept saying. Uh, I can't remember. It was masked, yeah. Um, and they're in a drought. Yes. So there's a fire mage there who is really grumpy and uh, wears his heart on his sleeve about everything that he's grumpy about. He's an intense guy. Yeah. Yarin. Yeah. Um, and the voice actor sounded like Vizzini from Princess Bride, which I also I loved. I also thought that while listening. <laughs> um. So they are there, and Daja, who this book is about, she used to belong to a culture, a very old culture and tradition. They're called traders. So she was on her family's boat when it sank, and uh, it was her whole caravan and her family, and they all died and they drowned. So what happens when you're a trader and... Uh, they decide that you're like really bad luck. Something calamitous happens that you're Yeah, they basically drum you out and you are no longer a traitor. You're not allowed to talk to traitors. So Dodge has been thoroughly ostracized. And uh, while she is working in the f- smithy, a woman whose name is Polyam comes. She's looking for the smith and she sees Daja, realizes that Daja is... Uh, Trangshi. Trangshi. Polyam is not going to talk to her because of it. Daja gets really mad, and she uses her metal and fire magic sort of accidentally to make this living metal vine, which is really cool. And then Pulliam wants to buy it because she's a trader and she's interested in it. She's like, we can make a good profit on that. And so she and Daja get to know each other because the negotiations are going back and forth. Um, And uh, Daja, in the meantime, is... Learning along with the three other kids that their powers are really intertwined and they're trying to basically organize them better. Um, there's some really cool astral projection that goes on with them, like going into the earth and they find this glacier um, that they can use to give the town um, a supply of fresh water because there's a lake that's dried up. And they also find a copper deposit. Yes, mm-hmm, which is also good for. Uh, the region's economy. So when Daja, who is Trangshi, she sells the vine, the metal vine, and then she goes with Polyam to the caravan uh, just to sort of see them off. And because she's really sad that she doesn't get to be a trader anymore, then the big fire hits. And then when she goes to the caravan to see them off, uh, Yarun, the fire mage, he uh, is not able to put out the giant fire that everyone was warning him about and saying, like, this is going to happen because you're not letting the little fires happen. You're squishing them. Uh, he fails and he dies. Blood drains from his eye and his nose and he dies. <laughs> Maybe the most detail you've gone into <laughs> for any part of the summary is Yarun's death. <laughs> it was grisly. I liked it. It is intense, yeah. Um, he went out the way he lived, you know. With just with so much built-up rage. I mean, I think, yeah, he probably had some kind of apoplyptic... Aneurysm. Aneurysm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So Dasha's with the caravan. She realizes the giant fire is happening and it basically cuts them off. They're with the caravan and they're all going to get burned up. So she uses her magic along with the other kids and their teachers who are still back in the castle uh, to... And uh, Nico is with them and Firepine. It doesn't matter, but... Okay. Okay. Um, And... uh, they create a net from their magics. They put out some of the fire, and then that doesn't really work. So then uh, she melts the glacier, and it comes and puts out the fire. And then, because she saved the traders, they... What? So she actually pulls the fire down through the ground and to the base of the glacier. Like, it happens through her astral projection. Okay, she okay, you're like right, you're right. It, like... Up gets sucked down Mm -hmm. into okay thank you grace um and uh, then because she saved the traders they drum her back in they say you're no longer trangshi and they try to get her to come with them but she doesn't want to because they're not her friends and uh, her friends are the circle of magic folks she wants to stay with them but polyam and her are friends now and she makes polyam Grace is just laughing at this rambling explanation. No, it's amazing. It's becoming more and more like a like fifth graders book report where they get up to the front of the room. They're like, and then, uh, and this, and then they're friends. Everyone's cool. But you're doing a great job. Thanks, Grace. And Pulliam, who I forgot to say earlier, is uh, disabled because she fell down a mountain um, and she's been using this rickety wooden leg. Daja makes her a living metal leg that's going to be just really give her so much more functionality. And she's really happy. She cries and they are friends. And then Poyam leaves and Daja and the other kids get to go back to the circle. To winding circle. To winding circle. And Daja's going to make nails there. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe my favorite summary we've ever done. (laughs) Great job. And now I'm imagining boiling this book down to just girl fights fire, makes nails. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for doing that, especially as someone who has not read the other Circle of Magic books, uh, which we can discuss in our next segment Old and New Impressions, in which we discuss how we felt about the books when we were young and how we feel about them now. Yeah. Daja's book was released in 1998. Um, the first circle, the circle of magic books were released concurrently, um, over a period of two years. So Sandry's book started it off in 1997 and then Briar's book finished it up in 1999. If you were a Tamara Pierce fan at the time, this was very exciting. I came to these books, I think in a natural progression, I had read, the Song of the Lioness series, and then read the Immortals series, and then I moved on to Circle of Magic. Um, It is a little strange at first to be reading a Tamara Pierce series that isn't set in Tortal. Yes, it's it's very strange because all I've ever read is Tortal books. Especially knowing so much about how the magic system there works and then diving into a series that is primarily concerned with magic mm-hmm. and both an academic approach and a more practical approach to understanding it and approaching it in the right ways and using it 
effectively and in a way that's going to help society. Which I think, I mean, there's absolutely echoes of that in The Immortals. For sure. But that is so focused in on Dane and her experience. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, it's really a, a very different beast to have four young characters who are all very unique and then each having a book that is more concerned with one of their perspectives. Mm -hmm. It's really fun to read. And I think Tamara Pierce does such an amazing job with each of the characters. I know that you having read only this book didn't get, I would say as good a look at Sandry and Triss. I think Briar and Daja have more, a bit more page time in this book. Yeah. Um, well, it is Daja's book, Grace. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but each of them is so appealing in their own way. And I love these books so much for how they show in, without being preachy, the power of friendship and also of being outcasts together. Yeah. Because each of the children experiences some pretty devastating trauma when mm -hmm. they're young. Uh, I think... All are orphans, or no, Triss's parents. Well, one of them is a noble and she has an uncle, right? Well, Sa yep, Sandry is noble and has um, her uncle who is a duke, but her parents died of the plague. Oh, yeah. Uh, Triss, I do think her parents are I think she explicitly says smallpox. So there are a few different plagues in this series, and the next book, Briar's book, is about a new plague oh, that takes okay. that is taking hold in the cities. Okay. Um, and is affecting like the classes of people that aren't really cared about in general oh. and don't have a lot of resources. So that whole book is about Rose Thorne and Briar trying to help them and heal them. So it's kind of like the AIDS epidemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Triss's parents are alive. She just was, she's the angriest of the group as you could probably tell. And because she in some ways is ex like kind of the most powerful because she can control weather elements Horrible things just kept happening, so her parents just kind of tried to push her off into different homes, try to find something that would work better until... Work Nico better than them having to take care of her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Them having to figure it out, and then Nico comes and takes her to Winding Circle. Anyway, revisiting the series, I will say that of, of the quartet, my favorite book is book number four, which I just mentioned, Breyer's book, um, because, I, I mean, when I was young, I was really interested in medicine. I still am to a certain extent, but the plague is really fascinating, and, and Breyer is such a fun character, and Rose Thorne is a great character, too. Um, and he goes back to the you know streets where he was an urchin um, to try to help discover the source of the plague because it's determined to be magical in nature and is with his old cohorts, like the other street kids, the other thieves. Um, and that's a really interesting world. But my second favorite is for sure this, Daja's book, Trader Culture, is so fascinating. It's very interesting. And Tamara Pierce writes it really well, really thoughtfully. Mm -hmm. um, and getting this glimpse into it, it, it also makes Daja feel that much more tragic. Mm -hmm. You know, she, yeah. yes, like the others, she's had a great loss, but she was also completely shunned from her society. It's brutal stuff. Exiled to the point that they have 
purifying rituals just to be able to have someone talk to her. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's really, really sad. And I felt that loss much more rereading it. I think when I was young, I was also struck by that when I was young, I always felt like, well, what, she can go back to this. Why would she want to? They're Mm -hmm. jerks to her. Yeah. But when she's describing just eating the food that she hasn't had for so long and seeing the families and their clothing and the way that their lives are structured, feeling the call of the ocean. Um, it's, it's a lot. And to go from that into, essentially a rigorous academic program. I mean, granted, you're with your best friends, your new best friends, and you're having all these incredible experiences. She's lost her entire... Talk about culture shock. Yeah, exactly. And I like Daja a lot. She is a very grounded person. Um, She is very thoughtful about her friends. And also the biggest thing, which I did notice when young and is all the more striking now is that this is a fantasy series that has many people of color as the main characters, Mm -hmm. which Which is awesome. It's incredible. And there should be so many more series like this. And it's something that Tamara Pierce, I think has always done well is not just writing white fantasy. Mm -hmm. And this series is that that's just one reason why I found it so exciting when I was young and do today too, um, is that it incorporates different groups and races of people yeah. instead of just the weird white fantasy concept that seems to infiltrate the so many Western series. European fantasy where it's yeah. always like white medieval. And it makes these kinds of series all the more interesting because then they get to be in cultures that are analogs to like Middle Eastern or African mm-hmm. cultures instead of just European just white cultures there's so much more to talk about so much richer yeah so yeah that's how i felt rereading this uh what were your thoughts experiencing this for the first time after i so cruelly plunged you into a series at book three um i mean i agree did you get it did you like it i did yeah i love tamara pierce um i agree with everything you said as my constant interjections probably communicated so I actually thought about Tempest and Slaughter, which is her most recent, Tamara Pierce's most recent book about New Mare's time in mage school. Uh, I kept thinking about it mostly because there that book is very given over to an academic study of magic. It's in a school mm-hmm. setting. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that book, it's different because New Mare is very, he's also very isolated, mm-hmm. um, but he's the special one and he is different from all of his peers versus in this book, it's all four of them and they have their teachers and they're on this journey together and they're not trapped in an alien environment. Like they have a home together, the winding circle uh, and they get to adventure together, but it's all still very focused on learning about magic, despite what their instincts and impulses are. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing I found really interesting is they're they're so young. Yeah, you know, in a lot of Tamara Pierce's books, they're I think they're her youngest protagonists. I mean, other than the maybe like Alana's first book when well, she starts off at what, eleven. I but think. the thing is, the the kids in her other books they are they have to be adults. They don't get to be kids. Um, and in this book, sure, they're still doing some really serious stuff, and they're very powerful. But 
they get to be kids much more. They're in an environment where that comes across more instead of uh, like Alana and Dane who, totally. who are just... They don't have options. Instantly, they have to be adults. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the caretaker component is very soothing. Mm-hmm. I also really like Larg and Rose Thorne and Nico and Frostpine. Um, they all have their own stories uh, and you don't get to learn as much about all of them and just this book alone, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to read the full series to get the full picture. But... I, yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's really welcome and important, especially for these children who are all orphans or mm-hmm. essentially rejected by yeah. their parents. Um, and there is a key difference between this and Tempest and Slaughter in that in the circle of magic, they're really only getting practical experience with uh, magic. Okay, And this is something that Yarun keeps alluding to when he's talking about how they don't have the right rules or foundations for what they're doing because he got upset that they made the magic square without the proper runes right, or something like that. Right. Um, because this is much more experimental and their teachers haven't seen anyone whose magic could interact with another young mage in the way that... Uh, Daja, Briar, Triss, and Sandry. They're all like Neo from The Matrix. They're <laughs> all like Neo. <laughs> Just imagine four Neos. Um, Just flying around, <laughs> wearing cool sunglasses. Zooming all over the place. And they have a, yeah, they, and they have a special bond because of that. But also, we get uh, quite a few references to what happened during the earthquake in a previous book. Yeah. Um, and that is when their magics first became intertwined because... Sandry wove them together so that they could help one another stop this earthquake. Mm. Um, And then everything just got kind of messy after that. And in this book, we keep seeing glimpses of one person's elemental strength popping up Mm -hmm. with someone else's work and what they're trying to accomplish. Um, But then Sandry makes this really badass piece of cloth. Disclaimer, I don't know anything about weaving and reading the weaving portions I felt like is this a language that I need to be able to speak to understand I keep trying to teach myself to crochet and it's so far it hasn't took but um yeah I also don't know how to weave Sandry creates a piece of cloth that keeps all their magic threads somewhat interwoven but she also places borders between them so that they can have a bit more control over what it is that they're doing with their power and Daja's fire isn't going to pop through while Sandry is working on a a jacket and burn a thread, although burn in a really beautiful way. Yeah, I like how the guy was just like, oh, no. Can you do this for Um, mine? I'm into this. (laughs) Looks cool, man. And then all the other soldiers want it. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, I I don't know. Get out of here. (laughs) I also like the emphasis on using magic for... Helping people, but then also using magic to create beautiful things. Yeah. Um, Like magic artisanship, Mm. essentially, which is what Daja is going to go on to do um, after she creates the incredible iron vine. and Which is really cool. The new leg for Pulliam. Um, And there's something very appealing about that. It's just... 
you know, it is purely like fun and pleasurable, but it doesn't have the same like life changing effects as the other magics that they're performing. And it's artistry. Exactly. Which is really cool. And it's a new approach to magic that for Tamara Pierce, like compared to the other uh, characters that we've read about in her Tortal books. And I appreciate that. So let's talk. I mean, we're all, we've already been talking about the magic systems, but so I think that there are some really unique parts of this book. Um, I love their projecting that they do uh, when they travel through the earth and Daja takes them down to mm-hmm. lava and then the lava gets scary and then she throws a fire square on it and it snuffs it out <laughs> because it uh, takes the air away. And also their communication, their mental communication that they have with each other, which they are mostly using just to like make jokes to each other until their teachers are like, find out and get really mad about it. (laughs) You can't use magic like this all the time for fun. Yeah. And using it to help them with their chores and things like that. Um, And it also just recalls how young they are and that they're very much in the process of learning Mm -hmm. like they haven't mastered anything yet and i think that's a big difference between this and the immortals series for example where Uh, that's also a good point dane is growing so much throughout that series Yeah, she basically becomes a demigod and yeah a lot changes a lot happens in the circle of magic books the whole series only takes place over it's it's like six months i think um and it's really just about them under realizing who they are as mages and then as people to a certain extent, um, which, you know, I guess that could take an entire lifetime to figure out. It's no small feat, but it's very different from the other quartets that span many years. It doesn't have the same traditional, like, you know, rising, 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 mm-hmm. like, conflicts conflicts huge conflict right like it's much more yeah it's about them growing as people yeah it's not about them becoming masters of their craft or Mm -hmm. warriors um yeah it's not about them reaching their final form Mm -hmm. it's just kind of figuring out everything that has to happen for them to reach that point one day and i like how much more small moments we can get with the characters because of that. Yeah. Because there isn't like a huge overarching tale that needs to be told. Instead we get just like the four mages joking around with each other and like, which is often their teachers being grumpy, which is often <laughs> um, having my some favorite, nice meals. Yeah. It's often my favorite parts of Tamara Pierce books. Yeah, I totally agree. And something that, I mean, if what if we had, you know, the Song of the Lioness series, for example, but told on this level, I mean, it would be so long, but also be I'm into so that. <laughs> yeah, please, please do that. Please, endless uh, retellings of uh, my favorite Tamara Pierce books. But first, write the next Numera book. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that first. I'd like a, an Immortals telling from the perspective of Taka. Yes. What would that even be like? <laughs> I think it would be pretty awesome. It would be cool. Yeah. yeah. Maybe too grand for any of us to understand. <laughs> Something else I love about reading subsequent Tamara Pierce series is I love seeing her writing develop. And even though I would say the audience for this series 
is younger, right? Is younger. Um, I mean, Alana and Dane's books have sexual situations in them. Sexual um, situations. <laughs> they and they are about the characters becoming adults. Um, whereas this, this is about characters who are children throughout. Um, and because they're kids and it's from their perspective, they're they're just yeah there isn't going to be that same kind of content. Yeah. But I, I was thinking about that too. But that doesn't mean that the magic and the concepts are any less advanced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they're still very powerful. And I, I think, you know, it's interesting that something like, like we both kind of interpreted at the end, the fire being put out in different ways. And because there is this mental traveling that they're doing that isn't physical, like their spirits mm-hmm. are working with magic, like astral projection. whereas their bodies can also work with magic, but in other ways. Um, and Daja, like, physically does go inside the fire in this book. And because she's holding her staff, the cap on the metal cap on her staff becomes a part of her hand and then creates living brass that she uses in creating the leg for polyam. It's pretty cool. Which is really cool. And pretty cool. I haven't read anything quite like that before nope. and I really enjoyed it. Um, and on top of that, just... Her writing style getting more sophisticated too. Um, I I really like the pacing of these books, and I think this is something I just keep returning to by saying that I like that they take place over a short frame of time. Um, yeah, it's different. I I really like that she took the opportunity to do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. She's setting this in a different world, mm-hmm. and then she just she played around with it, and I really like the result. And Tamara Pierce has other books about Emelon. Um, there is a, another quartet that follows this one that's called The Circle Opens. Oh, yeah. Um, that uh, just goes into... I, ha- I haven't read it. I haven't read any of that series um, because I just haven't... Yeah, I haven't dedicated as much time to the Emelon books as I should. I should check it out. I'm I'm definitely interested. Um I think it was like, wasn't at my library when I was a kid or something. I don't know. I remember trying to find it and failing. <laughs> um, but well, it, it, now you can. Nothing's stopping you. I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> what if I still can't find it? <laughs> what if the library still doesn't have it? Um, and the Circle Opens books are about the students slightly older and having become fully realized mages sexual situations they're 14 (laughs) i I don't know (laughs) but thank you for asking like that so creepy (laughs) and those came out right after the series too they came out 2000 2001 2002 2003 tamara pierce is so prolific so who was your favorite character of the kids i'm curious i like the the one that used to just be a thief briar yeah I, I always enjoy that backstory of like they have high rogue stats because they used to be a thief and now they're like dual classing and majory and they used to so they used to go fully <laughs> RPG. <with this. laughs> they so they don't have that lifestyle anymore, but they're it always influences them, and I just think that's really fun. And in the next book, he gets to kind of go back to it um, to help understand where the plague is coming from utilizing his rogue stats yeah which is also really fun and literally going back to the like 
tunnels and I think he's in the sewers uh, yeah. for a while. Um, My least favorite part of any game when you have to go in the sewers. <laughs> Inevitably, it always yeah <laughs> always arrives. There's like a sewer monster down there that's made of like a what's the the word that Josiah always tells me is going to happen because I eat stickers. A bolus. Yeah, a bolus. <laughs> Trash bolus. <laughs> Yeah, um, Briar's book is definitely the grossest of the four books, but a lot of pus, a lot of pus. Yeah, but it's it's also really fun. So I don't fun know. pus. If, if you have any interest, I would. If you like pus, I would definitely <laughs> recommend it. Um, yeah, Briar is my favorite character too, as I've alluded to, because I love its book so much. Um, but I really have a soft spot for all of the children. Yeah. Um, they're a great combination of personalities, and I also just appreciate that it's three girls and one boy. Yeah. There are so many women in this series. Instead of having your token woman. Yeah, exactly. Um, and of the teachers, I, I also have a soft spot for each of them, but I really like Rose Thorne. Um, she's Rose so Thorne intense about plants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a way that I can relate to. Um, and... She and Briar are a really good match. Um, Grace has maybe easily over 100 plants. In yeah, Josiah counted them um, last time we cleaned, but I can't remember. I'll have to ask him. Um, yes, we have a lot. Yeah. Feels good to have them around. And I love the moment when Briar tries to grab her habit and she basically becomes a huge, powerful tree and throws him off and is like, do what I say. It's great. <laughs> Stay I wish I could do that. Make people listen to me by becoming a tree. I know. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, with these books, this this is maybe a downside of not focusing specifically on elementals is because then people have like their own kind of parallel that they feel like that elemental is like s- most similar to like my thing, like my personality, my or zodiac, ugh, my zodiac sign, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and since these are more complicated, maybe that makes it a little more difficult for kids to immediately relate, but then Briar yeah. gets like kind of the most straightforward power. Yeah. I feel like no, in I know some what ways. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas for Daja, it's metalworking, also fire to a certain extent. For it's a- Triss, it's like all the powers of the earth, including weather. And then Sandry's is like actually taking charge of the magic fabric itself. Um, yeah. Like I said, I like those a lot better than if, if they were just like, yeah. Earth, air, right. Fire, and it, it makes water. it, cause I think that would be trite. Like it, I said, it's not Captain Planet. And the other thing I wanted to say is that Maybe this would have felt differently for you if you had read them, the books when you were young, but I really like how deep their friendship is to the point that they're more like siblings than friends in a lot of ways. Especially the way that they tussle. Yeah, exactly. Like they get on each other's nerves, but they also know the right thing to say to elicit action, even if it means that the other person is going to be grumpy with them. Sometimes you just got to do that. Um, and I really relate to that. I, I, in some ways, they kind of feel like X-Men. It's like Tamara Pierce's X-Men, you know. They yeah. are, you know, it's it's not quite as intense with, like, them being outcasts and mutants and stuff from society. Um, but the mages have their own 
crosses to bear and Yarun actually gets into that. Um, he's a fascinating character. When you first meet him, I feel like he comes off as like um, Roger from the first Alana book where it's just definitely like bad foreshadowing. He bad seems guy, evil. Bad guy. No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't believe a thing he says. Um but Yarun is actually just trying to make his own way. And he has a lot of baggage from the life that he's led. And he's very open about it. <laughs> he is. And to be fair, he is very powerful. But then he gets so controlling and so... It's like he is very full of himself, but at the same time, he hates himself. He's baggage. He's basically like a narcissist because he is really self-hating and like empty inside, but he also has to project this really full self to mm. everyone around him. Yeah. Um, and I think that he really shows the alternative to what life could be like for these kids and how mm. special how special they are to get to have this experience where like they each have a dedicated teacher and they're just being mm -hmm. taken around Emelon to yeah. like help fight fires <laughs> and everything else. That they yeah. Do. And he resents them for it. Yeah. He wants to be a part of this special exclusive club and he was never able to do that. He spent his life getting more and more exhausted while he put out every fire in an impossibly fire prone place mm -hmm. and then g killed himself trying to do that. It's dark. Yeah, yeah, it's real dark. Pretty heavy. So something I neglected to mention up front is that this book has been, the series has been requested by many, many listeners, um, as well as just more all the Tamara Pierce in general. Uh, there are some other Tamara Pierce exclusive podcasts out there. So if you want that, I, I can't vouch for the quality of any of them. I haven't really listened to them, but they exist. So go I'm out sure they're great. Go out and seek them. But we had one listener in particular who requested that we cover this book because she said that it has really excellent pretend food. Pretend food. Pretend so that food. brings us to our favorite segment, pretend food, where we discuss fantasy food and how hungry it makes us. How hungry we all are. That listener was Kaylin. Thank you, Kaylin, for writing in. Thanks, Kaylin. Trader culture is interesting in many ways, but its use of cooking and meals is one of my favorites. Yeah. They uh, prize cooking because it's very important to be able to create these gorgeous feasts to have during your bargaining mm -hmm. because then people let their guard down if they're well fed. So it's common for the leader of a caravan or of a group to be the, uh, the cook and for them to be extremely skilled. And we get a really touching scene where Daja yeah. gets to eat trader food for the first time. And drink time. trader tea. And drink trader tea. And it's so good that I'm going to read a little passage from it, if that's all right with all of you. So when Pulliam first comes to bargain with Daja for the Iron Vine, she is expecting to just get it over and done with. Mm -hmm. um, but... Dasha's friends who are just trying to support her because she's uncomfortable with this woman who has been, I mean, beyond rude, pretending yeah. she didn't exist because she's trying she. Um, and so they say, oh, there has to be a, a meal. And yeah. You have to arrange this. You need to have cushions. Like, what are you talking about? She couldn't possibly bargain with you. 
So then Pulliam goes and is prepared to buy her caravan to interact with Daja, um, which is referred to as Konsuanen. So she's prepared through a process called Kung Suanen, I think, um, to be able to interact with Daja, which involves her like being painted yellow and cleansed every day. She has to cleanse her donkey. It's a lot of work, um, but she does it. And that's the beginning of her and Daja becoming friends and also Polyam kind of rethinking some of her own attitudes um, and the way that the trader traditions have also led to her having a really difficult life. Yeah, because she has very she's low ref- status. Yeah, she's referred to as a warrock, mm-hmm. um, which is like the lowest status person mm-hmm. in the trader group. Yeah. Um, and she has to use her own belongings in the bargaining with Daja as well. So she comes back, she's got cushions, um, there's a table and a teapot and everything's all nicely set up. And she also provides a gift, which the Iron Vine eats, so they have to say goodbye to the gift. <laughs> and then uh, Pulliam says, talk needs food or the talkers weaken. And she gives her trader tea, which is described as hot, strong, and flavored with smoke, which Daja hasn't had in a a very long time since her ship sank. And plates laden with cold vine leaves stuffed with rice, onion, garlic, and mint, tiny pickled onions, pastries filled with chicken or eggplant and spices, apricots stuffed with almond rose water paste, and small fruit tartlets. Last but not least, she saw almond and orange cakes, All were traditional foods among traders in caravans and ships alike, and Daja had not tasted any of them in months. And she almost cries because she's so, oh, because she misses those foods and her family and her childhood, like her entire life experience so much. Um, And everyone else is like doing their tasks, sitting around them while they eat. uh, And then they notice that they're all just staring at them like, please. Give me some food. Including Little Bear, the dog. Including the dog. Uh, So then everyone's invited to eat and they share a lovely meal together learning about each other. Yeah. Um, And we get to see some of Pulliam's uh, inquisitiveness and just like learn a little bit more about her past. So I love that scene. Yeah. I'm a huge sucker for food bringing people together because Mm -hmm. it's very strong in all of our, our own globes cultures, right? Mm -hmm. Like breaking bread, sharing salt, having a drink, like these, being able to take the time and sit with someone and eat. And I mean, biologically, I'm sure that it's attributed to um, you're very vulnerable in that setting when you're yeah. eating. So it's it's a showing of trust and comfort to be able to do that with someone. Um, and it's just such a great way to bond, man. If I like, when I am around people that I care about, and even if I'm eating something I really like, like I'll share it with them, or you know, like we eat together. It's just a, um, and you never think about how eating can feel very uncomfortable until you're around people that you're not comfortable with and you're eating. And then you're like, oh, this feels awful, versus you don't even think about it when you're with people you are comfortable with. Yeah, that's actually a 
form of social anxiety for me is that it's really, really hard for me to eat in front of people that I'm not really good friends with. Mm -hmm. And I very often, like if I go to a potluck or yeah, barbecue or something where it's intended to be a meal, I take like a tiny portion because I am so uncomfortable going through that process, like while talking to a stranger, like, yeah, just surrounded by people that I'm not incredibly comfortable with. Or yeah, it genuinely is always so hard for me. And I go, I now tell myself, like I go into these situations and I'm like, you will be hungry (laughs) like immediately afterwards. Please eat a normal (laughs) amount of food. Um, And, and yet as soon as I get to the, you know, the spread, I I cannot bring myself to take as much food as I should eat. And I hate that, like, in law school, there would be, like, events and networking stuff, and I would go after studying all day, and I would be exhausted, and there would be, like, nice a nice food spread, and you have your drink and your plate and your backpack, and people are giving you business cards, and you're trying to shake hands, Mm -hmm. and it's just the stupidest thing. Like, it's so uncomfortable. Yeah, maybe if I had, like, a little dinner tray around my neck <laughs> I could just carry me that's what I should have taken to networking <laughs> events then people would remember me and I think part of it too is it's just too many things for me to focus on at once like holding the food eating the food talking to a person like moving so mm-hmm. that I'm not in someone else's way yeah um the last time I went to an event I all I had was just a cup of water and I managed to spill so much of my water because I was like gesturing with my hands <laughs> while I was talking and things like that and I spilled water uh, on someone at one point and then she was like oh and I was like don't worry it's just water I'm only allowed to drink water in social settings because these are the kinds of things that happen. I always have a horrible headache after things like that because of exactly what you've described. I just am physically and emotionally exhausted. Yeah. So eating in front of people is really hard for me. And I know that there are a lot of sociological and like you mentioned, yeah, just ingrained biological reasons for us feeling this way. Mm -hmm. I think something that's touched on in this book too is that eating with someone connotes that you are of the same class as Mm. them. Um, And I think that historically is very true too. Um, And there's discussion of that with Sandry. They keep trying to pull her, the lady of the whatever, (laughs) lady of the Goldbridge Valley, keeps trying to pull her to come eat with her. And it's like, why are you eating with your friends? Sandry's really embarrassed when she, another great meal, which I'll (laughs) talk about in a moment, she is given food after she's been working on this magical weaving day and night um, and is so hungry. She and stuffs she it into her mouth. Goes in with her hands into the chickpeas, which is also, um, they mention like the specific cultures in Emelon that eat that way. Um, and then she notices that her uncle, the Duke, is sitting there behind her and she's so embarrassed that, as she said, he saw her eating like a commoner. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so there's actually a lot of really interesting food discussion throughout this book that it, uh, which is related to your point, which is great because usually in Tamara Pierce's books, like somebody grabs a roll on their way out the door and that is it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think especially in the lioness quartet. So I think the lioness quartet has more pretend food than the immortals. And then I think. Protector of the small. Has There's more, more food pretend in that. food. Yeah, <laughs> than the others. Um, 
Tempest and Slaughter had good pretend food too. That is true. Uh, yeah, Tamara Pierce is not um, one of the like best of all time pretend food writers, but, but she that's, thinks that's about okay. it. As we've discussed before, she's very occupied, I think, with clothing. Like yeah. She mm-hmm. always describes the fashions of every character in a way that um, provides more detail into who they are yeah. and also their um, purpose, you mm-hmm. know, as, as a character in the book. So I appreciate that, too. Yeah. And it's just interesting when you start picking up on these things like, oh, this is something that that author has like yeah. as, you know, a special that interest. they like to think about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this this I think is like one of her best pretend food books. Um, the meal that Sandry is brought and, you know, maybe that's also related to it being a shorter period of time and having more room for those to talk about moments. the mundane things. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually the mundane things that we're so very interested in. Yeah, exactly. Um, Sandry also gets a nice, uh, a, a meal that's comprised of middle Eastern foods. So mm-hmm. like spicy chickpeas, um, and chicken and eggplant and flatbread. Um, and that sounded like, Oh, and couscous. And that sounded couscous, like yeah. just such a good, I'm so exhausted. I've been working so hard. I'm starving. Yeah. Repast. And juice. A pitcher of juice. juice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I do I do think this is an awesome pretend food book. And now I want to find someone to bargain with so that we can have a little picnic. No, I just want those little that cakes. That tea sounds man. really good. Yeah, the too. tea sounds amazing. Because at first, I don't like anything that's flavored with liquid smoke or has like a fake strong smoke flavor but actually smoky drinks is amazing oh they're so so good i think the tea is probably most similar to oolong Mm, i love oolong Um, but i don't know i have to think about it uh stay tuned for when we create our fantasy cookbook Long will be in it. And shout out to the listener who sent us a tweet about the Narnia cookbook that they have the other day because I, I really need to track that down. I believe that it is time for Badass Lady Meter. So many ladies to choose from. Too many ladies. It's wonderful. Okay. Go, go ahead. My Badass Lady is... It's <laughs> continuing the book report theme. Daja. My rating for Daja is a uh, bronzed palm that doesn't need a clan affiliation to reach her full potential. Yeah, because she's got her family. I mm-hmm. feel like that's Daja's big lesson throughout this whole book. That's what she comes to in the end, even though she's kind of begrudging about it. And I get it. It's mm-hmm. like, no, she she has her new family and she doesn't have to worry about her past with them. Yeah. It doesn't dictate how they see her. Yeah. Great lady. Great rating. Thanks, Grace. Uh, my baddest lady is Polyam, um, who um, is a character I, I really like a lot and that I'm very invested in. Um I do feel for her a bit because Tamara Pierce like works hard to constantly mention how unattractive yeah. she is. <laughs> uh, and like also just reiterating, like even if she wasn't totally scarred on half her face, she she'd still, still be, be ugly. <laughs> Would still not be a handsome woman. Yeah, like, no, okay, you're right. Okay. She's doing her best. Um, 
Poyam is a little tough because she does come in with so much bias against Daja. But she's also, very un- unsympathetic at first. She is very unsympathetic, but it's also her own culture and it's, I mean, it is Daja's own culture and yeah. Daja totally agrees with and accepts it. At mm-hmm. least she works very hard to. She does have her, there is one chapter she has an emotional moment and it's like, oh, how can you treat me this way? Mm-hmm. But also I am trying she, um, it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, within trader culture, there is there are these very rigid rules. There is also a lot of self-hatred depending on the tier that the individual is in, but it's presented to us as still an enviable society to be a part of. Mm -hmm. Um, Daja wants to return to it very badly. And that is her big growing up role that she has to do to say no to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, Polyam is hopefully going to be treated better within the caravan. Um, it's complicated. Like her mom is the leader. Um, yeah. And yet, and yet because she fell down a mountain and is disabled from that, she is Wirok. Um, yeah, it's it's tricky what are you narrowing yeah. your eyes about? No, yeah, it's, I mean, it sucks. Uh, and Polyam shows how thoughtful she is and how much depth she has throughout the book um, because she truly does become friends with Daja and also complains about having to like wash the donkey every day so that she's not sullied by Daja. Yeah. And she even voices at the end, um, like, we've both learned something. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Saying like, well, it's good that we're questioning these things because maybe they're not awesome. And I just love Poyam and Daja's relationship. Poyam yeah. is kind of the source of closure that Daja yes. needs. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a way for her to get an in and a glimpse back into the culture that she was raised in, but also a perfect sign for her of okay, maybe I actually, this isn't something that is right for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and fr- from who I am now, it doesn't even make sense mm-hmm. for me to be a part yeah. of it. Um, yeah, so my rating for Polyam is beauty from within. And it doesn't matter what you look like. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good rating. <laughs> Polyam thanks you. I just, and I also feel like, I don't know. I guess it's just true for like most fantasy novels, but I picture all the like stronger, uh, like warrior type women as just being very attractive, like having strong features and like a like long hair, like a bold <laughs> fist forward. So they I don't look know what like I'm Wonder Woman. Right <laughs> yeah, they all look <laughs> look like Wonder Woman. Um, yeah, so it was just very jarring to <laughs> keep being brought up. But like I said, you're you're beautiful on the inside. That's all that counts. It's true. Okay, so I think that's everything for Daja's book. Um, thank you again to everyone who requested this. Yeah, I enjoyed getting to visit this new Tamara Pierce book and universe. And I think I really want to reread Briar's book now. So do I don't it. know. Maybe I'll do a little grace. I'm sure it's on Scribbit. I mean, I have it oh, behind okay. me. I have the whole set. Remember, Scribbid. I told you about that. Also, we will announce our next book that we're going to be covering right now, as we've been doing for those who make it this far. Most don't. I see our analytics, but <laughs> it's okay. 
We're going to be covering Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett in celebration of the amazing looking adaptation that is about to... The Pretty excited about, about it. Released and it's good. Amazon. I need to reread the book before yeah. um, watching the exactly. show. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening, for supporting us. We appreciate you so much. You can find us online at dragonbabiespodcast.com on Instagram at Dragon Babies Podcast, on Twitter at Dragon Babies Pod, or if you want to submit a request or your thoughts or a recipe for, what were we asking for? Oh, what you think Trader Tea tastes like. You can shoot us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time, goodbye.